Well, indeed, this week is Veterans Day, and uh, we would like to just acknowledge anyone who has been a part of the military, the armed services, or if you are a spouse, part of that family, would you just stand so we can give an acknowledgement to you over all these years? Part of me wants to just go around and put a mic in each one of you and say, give us some good stories. How's the dirty bed? You know, what God did in your life as you uh, faithfully served in those ranks. But thank you indeed. It's uh, Thursday is Veterans Day, uh, the 11th month, uh, the 11th day, the 11th hour. It's commemorated in light of uh, the end of World War I and uh, all the generations that are now rolling forward from there are a part of our veteran forces, and we are so grateful, especially in this area where we have a lot of veterans uh, from all the different camps that are around. I want to encourage us here this morning that uh, we are not a part of maybe uh, the armed forces, but we are a part of the kingdom of God. And we are going to be looking here this morning again at something that's very vital for us as people who want to be a part of God's kingdom. Now, maybe you're new this morning. I want to say thanks for coming along with Zach and the team. Uh, and you're just checking God out. Thanks for doing that because uh, God wants to work in your life and he has plans for you. And so whether you're sort of new checking God out or you've been in the trenches a long time for the kingdom of God, we're again looking this morning at uh, a need for us to be a part of God's kingdom and to be mindful that when we're a part of God's kingdom, that uh, we have... Um, the uh, need to stay clear on who we are worshiping and who we are serving. And so we've been in a series entitled Money, Sex, and Power, Sacred Gifts, or Toxic Idols. Money, Sex, and Power, Sacred Gifts, or Toxic Idols. And with this, we have mentioned that it's very easy as a soldier in the, surge, uh, in the service of God's kingdom to exchange God for other things in life. We end up going out into our worlds every day and we participate, whether in the work world, the social arena, uh, our family life, and we get bombarded by all kinds of agendas. Things pull us in different directions. And three of those things we've been looking at in this series that can pull us a direction that, given by God, they are good, they are sacred gifts, but they can pull us in a direction of idol worship. Not the statue worship, but worshiping the things that they would end up bringing and then replacing God with those things. And so we are uh, coming towards the close of this series. Actually, next week, we're going to do some summarizing, do some uh, different kind of interaction and uh, reflection on the series. But today, I want to move us into a continued understanding of the toxic idol of power, the toxic idol of power. Last week, we mentioned that when God created us, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God, He created the heavens and the earth. He then created, after all the other creation, mankind, male and female. And then He said to them, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so you and I as human beings were given power from the get-go to rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. 
I like to visualize things. Can you visualize God walking in the garden? He's created all things, and he says, hmm, I wonder who I should put in charge. He looks at a dog and says, you know, hey, dog, you want to be, you be in charge? You know, he looks at a horse and says, well, you know, would you like to be in horse? He goes down by the beach and he sees the dolphins flipping out of the water and says, they're pretty smart creatures. Maybe they should be in charge, right? Turns around and there's a gorilla there, whatever. It's like a little scary kind of thing. Well, do you want to be in charge? I don't know. No, he didn't do any of that. It wasn't like, ah, who's going to say, pick me, pick me, pick me. No, who God picked was who God put his very image in. And God put his image in every human being since. We, you, are made in the image of God. And so the ability for us to rightfully take on power, and we define power as the ability to make things happen, right? To be able to take on power to make things happen has been granted to us by God. You had the power to get up out of bed today. Weren't you all glad there was an extra hour of sleep today? I forgot about daylight savings time until late last night, and I'm like, whoo, good deal. I get to sleep in another hour. That's all right. But you got up this morning. You powered up. Maybe it was a little bit slower than you anticipated, and you came crawling in here you know, trying to wake up still. But you powered up. You got yourself dressed. You got the kids somehow fed and in the car, and you made your way to church today. You had the ability to make things happen. But on a broader scale, it's not just as it relates to you, it relates to us stewarding all of God's creation. We mentioned last week that we are destined to the throne, that in the end times, from this side passing on to the next side, as followers of Jesus, we will rule and reign with Christ. We will be co-heirs with Him. And so we stand between these times and when he's created us and all that's happened in history and when Christ will come again and we are stewarding his power that he's given us to rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth today and into eternity, it says that we will rule over cities, we will judge angels, we will be co-heirs with Christ. Our destiny is to be powerful people. But, in that garden experience, Satan corrupted the gift that was entrusted to us of stewarding God's power. And he made us think that we were the ones that needed the personal power for ourselves. You know, one of the first uh, videos I want to watch when I get to heaven is what actually happened with the fall of Satan. Lucifer was one of the archangels in the heavens. There's Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. The only three archangels we know of in Scripture. Somehow, Scripture doesn't specifically reference, but Satan fell from heaven with what's supposedly a third of the angels. Those angels, fallen angels, dark angels, demonic spirits, whatever, they wreak havoc on this earth. Satan is not the opposite of God. He was a created angel. But you know why Lucifer fell? It was because of this idol of power. Somewhere, and I'm looking forward to figuring and finding out how, Lucifer said, hey, you shouldn't be worshiping Yahweh, the true one and only God who created all the universe. You should be worshiping me. 
And he was cast from the heavenly realms down to the earthly regions. He is wreaking havoc in this world, continuing to corrupt people, especially in the area of power. And one of these days he'll be dealt with eternally, Scripture says, when he'll be thrown into the lake of fire, into the abyss. But during this time, it's one of those enticements. Hey, you can make things happen. That's pretty good. Maybe you ought to make things happen for you rather than God. And so we subtly get pulled away from being a steward of the empowerment God has given us to being the recipient and the end all of that power, and it corrupts us. We move from having the sacred gift of empowerment to rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth to the toxic idol that it's all about me and my wealth, my accomplishments, my credibility, my prestige, what I can make happen. And we live in a world today where you see the power plays happening all the time. You ever been the um, recipient of a power play in your life? At work, maybe? Someone did a, I call it a one-upmanship on you. Maybe it happens in your home. Do your kids ever do power plays on you? And you're like, I'll be right there from the fall of eternity. That kid is trying to do a power play on me. I can't believe that. I'm sorry. No, you will not be able to do that, right? There's power plays that happen all around us. And sometimes it's uh, not necessarily the intent of being evil or malice. It's someone that's trying to make good things happen, they think, but they really don't have the perspective they need to have. Sometimes it is directly corrupt, and they're trying to usurp authority and change your life so that their life is better. We see it around us in the work environment. We see it in community life. We see it in politics. Uh, we see it on the world stage. The play for power. Power is the ability, as we mentioned, to make things happen. Power comes from different kinds of things. We can have positional power, right? Positional power is a title. Like if I told everybody, I, I thought about doing it, but I won't. If I told everybody to stand right now, you'd probably stand. Why? I guess I got the title of pastor and I'm the speaker up front today. Woo, I made you stand. Now you can be seated, right? And you're like, I'm glad you didn't do that, Carrie. So I am entitled with a title, but that does not mean I am to be entitled. There is power that comes from position, and you have positions of authority even in your own life, and you may not think you have much of a position of uh, power, but you do. You are given a title in a certain regards. If you are given a license and you have the entitlement to stand, uh, to sit behind a steering wheel and drive a car, right, uh, within the law, you and I are giving power at different dimensions. One of those is the power of uh, title, all right? Positional power. I want to look today at a subject called relational power, though. Because when we start to look at God, He flips things upside down and has, from the day one, related to power. He who is all-powerful, who created the heavens and the earth. There's a book by Ronald Riggio, who's a psychologist for organizational leadership, entitled How Power Corrupts Leaders. And we need to understand, he says here on the positive side, power makes leaders more assertive and confident and certain of their decisions. 
This enables them to move forward on chosen courses of actions. Leaders must use power to get the job done. So when you study the subject of power as it relates to leadership, it's a good thing. It's like us looking at it from a biblical perspective and seeing that it's a sacred gift that God gives to us. So power on the positive side is good because it can make things happen. And when you're a leader in an organization or a company and you see that company heading south, what do you do? Sit back and go, oh, there it goes. That's too bad. No, you make decisions. You move people around, maybe rehire, maybe restructure some of the vision. Maybe it's a product and it has to be realigned or remade. Maybe it's a service and you you have to, to mobilize people more for that. But you make a decision as a leader with the power you've been given to get the job done and make things happen. And a lot of times, uh, I know this is true in my life because in one sense, I, I steward the leadership efforts around this church here. There's a sense of great satisfaction when good things happen. You go like, wow, man, we accomplished that. And I'm sorry, we, we pulled off a pretty good trunk or treat last week, thanks to all you guys, right? And you're going like, this was a good deal for this community. And if you're here today, thanks for coming from trunk or treat. But it's the idea that we're like, wow, uh, that was just a joy to do. It was fun. We were engaged. We made things happen. We uh, let kids have a good time. We passed out tons of candy. We had good personal connections. And you step back from pulling off an event like that, and you're feeling good. Part of the reason you're feeling good when you pull off something, if you're in a leadership position, is because you were called to rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. You were called to horsepower up to make things happen. Take great pride and joy before God, of course, in being able to make those things happen. So there's this positive side to leadership with the power that you and I have been given in whatever position we are. But the flip side of that, just like you move from the sacred gifts to the toxic idols, is the negative side. And he says this, on the negative side, the more people possess power, the more they focus on their own egocentric desires and the less able they are to see others' perspectives. You know what myopic is, right? It's like you have this broad vision and then you become very focused and sometimes that's valuable, but a myopic person doesn't think of other people. And if you've come across individuals or you've fallen prey to that, or maybe you're struggling with it yourself right now, if you are allowing power to become an idol, it's a toxin related to your visual perspective, and you start to forget about others, and you're focused on yourself. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this because he created the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. So you stand back at the beginning of all the universe and eternity, and there's Jesus, the Son of God, who created, took the power, God Himself, to make things happen. And when he did that, he blessed Adam and Eve in the garden. But then as he saw sin come in and corrupt them from Lucifer and saw them move forward, not only in their own life, but then in the, uh, in the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, God 
himself stood back and was grieved. Because the power that was broad for all people's good, for the glory of God, became myopic and focused on self-centeredness. The prophet Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel was one of those prophets where you, you just need to be glad that you didn't have to walk in his shoes. He was called to do things that uh, would have been tremendously difficult for any one of us in this room, and I'm not quite sure how he did it. But he was called to be a prophet and to speak to the myopic self-centeredness of his culture in his day. It says this in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourself. Now, I find it interesting that this prophetic word is being given to shepherds. Shepherds take care of the sheep, right? So they have the power to say, hey, not there, you graze over here, hold back, let me take care of you here, I'm going to go over there and catch that stray one. So the subject of shepherd, though we don't have it in our culture all that much, is that the shepherd was to take care of the flock and make sure the flock was safe. When we move into the New Testament and it talks about the church, it talks about a pastor. Another word for a pastor is a shepherd, someone who takes care of the flock. And you're not a bunch of uh, sheep out there kind of thing, but it's this idea that we graze and we grow and we gather together. But the shepherd is to, supposed to help the flock, take care of the flock. Here's Ezekiel giving a pretty strong prophetic word that the shepherds are corrupt. The shepherds are corrupt because they've taken the power that's given to them and they've turned it back for their own good. He goes on, is exhorted to say this, Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed. You should not take care of the flock. You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. That's a pretty strong word. Prophetic word, prophet Ezekiel coming after the sheep. Why? Because they were not on the positive side of their power. They had turned to the negative side of their power. They were not stewarding the sacred gift of power, but they were abusing it and taking it on as an idol. In the definition prior about the negative side of it, the negative side turns when we start to think that we possess the power. We possess the power to make things happen, whether in our home or in a business or on a, a sports team that we're leading, whatever it may be. We possess the power. 
you do not possess the power. It's been given to you, and we are entrusted with the power. And the shepherds here are being called out in order to make a difference and turn from their self-centered ways. I want to continue reading here in Ezekiel 34. If you have it in your scriptures in your hands, that's fine, or on an electronic device. Verse 6 my sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore... Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. We can all find the ugly leaders that take power. But what about the leaders that are supposed to be good in our life? And they subtly usurp that authority and the power they have to tie back against their own self-interest. Trust me, as I stepped into thinking through it for this week and, and with this passage in particular, I had a personal conviction. Because I know a lot of ministry people that have fallen. And they've fallen to all kinds of idols. They've fallen to money, they've fallen to sex, and they've fallen to power. And it's grievous. It's grievous to those who are impacted by it with a shepherd, ministry, pastor, leader, whoever has gone astray. But it's most grievous to God. The accountability that I have before the Lord is something that weighs heavy on me every week. To whom much is given, much is required. Carrie, make sure that you shepherd the flock well, that you lead them in the paths of righteousness that you do not steer things towards yourself. Oh, but Lord, you know I'm a sinner, man. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff that's ugly inside my life and trying to work with that. I've called you to lead and I've placed my spirit within you. Lead well and lead on behalf of my glory and my glory is defined by the sake of the broad perspective of the flock doing well. And so this has been a, a challenging and difficult word even for me this week as a leader. How about for you in your workplace? Do you oversee people? Would they describe you as a good leader or a harsh leader? Would they describe you as a leader who cares about things of their interest or you're only up for your own interests? Maybe you're a teacher and you have students. That's sort of your flock. Maybe you're in the medical world and you have patients. Maybe it's just back in the home and you got your own children. Maybe you're taking care of extended family, aging parents. You have been given power to make things happen, to make good things happen. Stay in the right lane where that power is being a power that's entrusted to you and not for you. And make sure that the flock are doing well. In this prophetic word of Ezekiel, you can turn with me to verse 22. 
The prophecy continues, but then it makes this turn. I like this turn. God says, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. In this difficult moment, God himself says, I'm going to raise up a good shepherd. These people have been harmed. They've been wronged. They've been led astray. They've not been carried on the backs to be able to be, have their wounds mended. I am going to provide a good shepherd. And he gives the prophetic word there of David being that good shepherd. And God placed King David in the leadership role of all the nation of Israel. It's referred to as Israel's golden age when King David led. And King David stewarded the entrusted power to him very well. Now, he fell to a sacred idol of sex later on and was repentant of that. But this issue of God giving a good shepherd, it was fulfilled in the life of David. But it was also foreshadowing another shepherd. And you know who that shepherd would be? The good shepherd. The shepherd Jesus Christ himself. And so today, we're all a part of a flock. Hopefully you're a part of a flock of the kingdom of God and you want God in your life and to pursue His purposes. And if so, guess what? You and I, we have a good shepherd. And that good shepherd is out for our best interest. He Himself has all the power in the universe. He's not corrupt. It said, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, he has absolute power and he's not corrupted absolutely, though that happens with human beings sometimes. It's not true of Jesus Christ and him being the good shepherd. And when he came, he said this, Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is indicative of something that you need to hear this morning and our world needs to hear loudly. The power that comes from on high is a power that needs to be flipped upside down. It's a power not for the sake of the one who possesses it, but for the sake of the one who is in need. The power Jesus said that he had was not to be served and say, hey, look at me, bring it on. Sing the accolades. He rightfully has that and we worship him like we did this morning in such measure. But the power he had when he came to this earth, he was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and then was crucified and was raised from the dead. That power he turned upside down in the kingdom of God. I did not come to be served, but to serve. The relational power that you have in every relationship that you've been given is a power to serve others, not to serve your own interests. And that's hard. It's hard because we have 
real needs. It's hard because we can be selfish people. It's hard because we have insecurities and fears. But God says, take the power I've given you from the beginning of time and use it to serve other people. And it's foremostly seen in the power of the cross. I want to take you to some of the words. We're going to have communion here in a little bit and share around the Lord's table and remember the Lord's death and resurrection until He comes. But as we remember the Lord this morning, I want you to remember Him for being the Good Shepherd who laid down His life so that you may have life. And the cross is front and center of Him flipping upside down the whole power structure that was going on in that day. So if you will, turn with me to John. John chapter 18. If I can jump right in the middle of the story of that final week, final weekend of Jesus' life before He died, you see a power play going on, not just with the Jewish leaders of that day, but you see the power play then hit the Roman world with Pilate. And it says this in verse 33 of John 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? you got to picture it, right? He's been betrayed by Peter who thought the best power was a sword and had no idea the power of the cross. And uh, so, uh, you know, he'd been betrayed not by Peter, but by Judas. And Peter took the sword and he had power. He's going to accomplish some things there because he still thought Jesus should be the militant Messiah rather than the suffering Messiah. And he's captured. He's led through all these trials and that night before. And he's finally taken before Pilate. And Pilate is really bothered because he's missing a lot of sleep. And he's like, who in the world are you? What's going on? Are you the king of the Jews? Because they're telling me that you're a king. Verse 34. You just got to listen to these words of Jesus, man. It's God. This is God, all right? And he's on trial with these mere men. This is God in the flesh having to deal with power play people. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? I'm surprised he didn't slap Jesus, Pilate, at that moment. It's like, what are you doing? Toying with me? Hey, did you come up with that yourself? Or did others tell you about me? I am a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and the chief priest handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And then listen to what Jesus says. Verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate's head's spinning. What in the world are you talking about? I'm a part of Rome. I'm here to give the authority of Rome in this providence, and you are being a troublemaker, and, and your own kind are, are having all these schisms and problems, and, and I just want to get done with this and get back to my quarters. You are a king, then, Pilate said. 
Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. These words are powerful words related to power. And he's speaking to power. And he's saying to the human being who has all the power in that providence, you don't have a clue about the real kingdom. And that is where I'm a king. And I come here. And in that moment, what could have Jesus done? He said it later in reference to the cross. He could have called down 10,000 angels. He could have said, this is it. This is a charade. Be done. Be gone. But he did not do that. He spoke truth. Because the truth was some of the most powerful. It is the, one of the most powerful things that we have as followers. And Pilate said, ah, what is truth? And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis or charge against him. And then he said, hey, you got a custom. You want to trade him for a real criminal and, and let him go free. And they started to shout to crucify him. Give us Barnabas. Chapter 19, Pilate then took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying and mocking him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. You got a picture of this? Your good shepherd, the one who has all power in heaven and on earth, who created the universe, came in the flesh to be obedient to the point of the cross so that you and I would have forgiveness of our sins. He's in a power play. He speaks truth to this one who's supposedly powerful. And then he's led out to be ripped open with whips. Whips that weren't just whips, but they had pieces of bone or other things in them that would rip his flesh open. And he's being punished. There's one more word that's before Pilate that Jesus says after he's brought back in. And this word is recorded in John chapter 19. Verse 10, Pilate said to him, after he refused to speak to him, Jesus did. He says, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus, bleeding from his back, the crown of thorns on his head, he answers him directly, pungently, and powerfully. He says, Pilate you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. I don't know about you, but if I'm, I'm bleeding there and I'm beat up and all, I'm like, I think I would probably just stayed silent. I mean, here's Pilate. He could keep doing worse things to you. And he says to Pilate, dude, you don't have a clue. Every bit of power you were given was given to you because you created. You were created in God's image. And that power was given to you to steward well, and you would have no power over me if it wasn't given to you. 
This is a hard word for us to realize when it comes to this issue of power, the idol of power, and all that's involved for us to horsepower up, whether we think we have a lot of power or we feel we have little power today, everything that you and I have in the area of power, whether that's physical power, uh, a power by entitlement or position or a power because of you know ability or intelligence or education, whatever it is that you have the credentials for your power, it was given to you. It was given to you. It was given to me to be entrusted. And that trust was an upside-down kingdom where we come to serve and not be served. There's another passage where Jesus says this, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. I don't know about you, but I am so endeared to Jesus as the good shepherd, as the one who came to serve and not be served, but as one who has all power to do all things. And he chose to lay down his life for me and for you. And in these words here, isn't it an incredible thought? This person who was God himself had the ability to lay down his life, allow himself to be crucified. And three days later, he himself raised himself from the dead. If we brought somebody in here on stage who had been dead for three days, how many of you'd like to take a try at raising him from the dead? Now, there are recorded scriptures, the apostles and others and other stories where people have been raised from the dead, but not of their own power, where you let them lay up here and then we all just sit back in silence and see if they can raise themselves from the dead. That ain't going to happen because it's only God who can lay his life down and pick his life up again. And three days after that brutal beating, three days after that crucifixion, when he was in that tomb with the stone rolled in front, Jesus, who has all power in the universe, he rolled the stone away. He raised his body up. He walked out of that tomb. And he is the resurrected Lord and Savior. You serve a risen God today. You do not serve a dead idol of wood or stone or some other power in our world. And that Jesus who's the good shepherd, he sets before you and I the way of the cross. And the power of the cross is that we should give our life up for others as surely as he gives his life up for ourselves. You know, like, I continue to do that. I'm tired of giving my life up for other people. Every day I serve other people. You just keep asking the power of Jesus to help you serve. No matter what type of hard knocks you've gone through in your employment, in your ministry, or whatever, God has called you, created in His image, to take the power He's given you and to steward it well. And that power is to serve others, not to be self-centered and build your own little kingdom. You and I serve the kingdom of God, and we are His representation in a world that's desperately in need of those who serve. 
I don't know about you, but when I come across politicians that have a lot of bantering and this and that, I sort of look below the surface of even sometimes the issues, and I try to identify the spirit and the heart of an individual. And I know that's very difficult, and you can be fooled. But I think to myself, do they truly have a desire to serve others? Is that why they're in politics? Or are they in politics because of the power? And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. That's why the Apostle Paul would later exhort in Philippians 2, verse 5, these famous words. Your attitude then should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. <laughs> therefore, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't you worry about those who are making power plays in your life and made things uneasy. Everyone will bend their knee before the one who owns all power and the one who is the servant to all, the true good shepherd. I'm going to ask Jamie to come back up we're going to spend a few moments as we worship the one who gave his life for us in his presence. The song we sang before is true. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. What have you done with Jesus in your life? Can I just ask you that? Have you given some head knowledge to, yeah, he was a good guy, good person, maybe even God? You'll come to a worship service, a church environment, and, and you'll give some acknowledgement of that. But inside, you've never really bend, bended your knee to worship Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Oh, he might be a good shepherd for others, but he's not become your good shepherd. When we gather, and we do this once a month here at the Awakening, to remember the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. When we gather, it's sort of a, a moment of reflection, sort of a gut check. Uh, how am I doing with Jesus? And sometimes that begins with the very reality of do I believe in Jesus and have I committed my life to be a follower of him? And if you're in that place today, I want you to know that before we take a communion, you can surrender your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do a bunch of calisthenics. You don't even have to say some exact words. It's really a disposition of the heart where you yield to him who was slain on the cross for your sins and for mine and who raised himself from the grave, that you surrender your life to follow the good shepherd.
And you can do that this morning if you've never crossed that line of faith. Whether you're young, a teenager, whether in your senior years, the invitation goes out every day for you to receive this one who turned the world upside down. He can change your life. Will you surrender to him? And then as we partake of communion, it's also a time for us to do some personal soul reflection. It says this in, in Corinthians that we are to examine ourselves when we come to the Lord's table. And when we come to the Lord's table, we examine ourselves to see if there is any wayward sin in us. Are we living in defiance of God? Are we pursuing some of these other idols that are sort of toxic? Or have we right-sized them as the sacred gifts they're supposed to be? Or, or maybe it's in some other dimensions other than the money, sex, and power like we've been talking about. Where are you at as a Christian believer this morning? Are you wayward? Are you off on some of your own power trips or some of your own self-interest? Have you not been the servant to others that maybe God's been asking you to be? And Jesus would just simply say to you before you take communion, let's examine ourselves and get things right now. And so, if you've never crossed the line of faith, or if you have crossed the line of faith, I want to give you some moments to talk to Jesus. The Word says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. And Jesus is here. He's speaking. The faithful, good shepherd who is obedient to death, even death on a cross, wants to speak to your heart today. So I'm going to ask that uh, we just go back to that song that we concluded worship with. Under your seats is the cup that you can take with the bread that's on the top part that you can peel off. You can do the mechanics of this of taking the bread and the cup, and we'll partake together in a second, so you can just hold it once you get it opened, I guess. But I don't want you to just do the mechanics this morning. This subject we've been on about idol worship is huge. And I want you to let go of whatever idol that has got its tentacles and its toxic poisons into you and I want you to move back to the foot of the Savior, the Good Shepherd. Receive fresh cleansing for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent of your sins. Turn to Him and allow His forgiveness to flood your heart. As you examine yourself, know this, that His forgiveness that comes from His blood that was shed and His body that was broken is as rich today as the day that He died and then rose from the grave. Receive his forgiveness. If you've got matters that stand in the way before you and the good shepherd today. And if you've never received Jesus as your savior, it's just a simple prayer of contrition of the heart. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my indifference and even my rebellion and I invite you, Jesus, to come into my life, to be my Savior, 
to be my Lord, to be my leader, to be my shepherd. Come into my life today, and from this day forward, I will choose to live for you as you enable me. That's the prayer you can pray if you've never come to know Jesus. I'm going to give you some moments, both with a song and even after that, for you to spend time with Jesus, and then we will partake of the elements together. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine own. For I received from the Lord while I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take of the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we remember your broken body, we also now remember your shed blood. You were the sacrificial lamb, the one who was the good shepherd became the perfect lamb that was slain. And it's through your blood, your very life that was poured out by which we have the forgiveness of our sin. And Lord, whether that's something that we've received here this morning for the very first time, crossing the line of faith and committing our life to be a follower of you, or something we did many years ago or in recent months, we thank you for your blood and the new covenant, the new covenant that brought a whole new power game into this world, one of surrender, one of sacrifice, one of servanthood. And so, Lord, as we remember you in this sacred moment here this morning. We thank you for your cleansing work in our life to forgive us of our sins, to set us on a course again today for this week, to be able to worship you and to serve your purposes, to take the power that you've entrusted to us and to use it for the good of others as surely as you laid down your power in your life for our good and our salvation. Lord Jesus, we take of the cup in remembrance of you. You may partake. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would take their places with the baskets. We receive the Lord's tithes and offerings at the end, but today I want to give a special note. If you made a commitment to give your life to Jesus today, there's a place to mark that on the back of your connection card. Would you mark that so we can follow up with you? I'll be glad to follow up with you personally, encourage you in your newfound faith and your new journey. Mark that or if other things are on there, prayer request. But we receive the connection cards at the end for you to be able to give a response to what God's done in your heart. And so as the baskets are shared, let me encourage you that we are now stepping into what's called the, the holiday season and that there's much for us to be thankful about as we head towards Thanksgiving. And there's much for us to worship as we remember Christ's entrance into this world as a babe on Christmas. As we go on this journey, I want to encourage you 
to not be a solo operator, but to be able to be on a journey spiritually with others, to gather here for worship every week. But if you need to have prayer and encouragement from one another, take the initiative to reach out and ask for that prayer. After service, there's always the prayer area down here. Mike's over there and some others will be. Be more than glad to pray with you. If you have a personal prayer need, or maybe if you committed your life to Christ this morning, I encourage you to take that initiative and to just pray with someone to seal that decision. In a couple weeks, we've chosen, as Pastor Zach mentioned, to have a Thanksgiving baptism service. We're also going to be celebrating a journey that many have made in our Rooted Discipleship group that day. But on Thanksgiving Sunday, which is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we're going to do something we haven't done in a long time because we usually go to do someone's hot tub in a backyard or other things. And last time we did the horse tank in our backyard. We're, we're going to get the baptismal up here. Now, that's more scary to some of you, I know. Like, oh my gosh, can we just do the hot tub in someone's backyard? Chill. It's not that big of a deal as it relates to the public dimension. We're family. But if you would like to follow the Lord in the obedient step of baptism. Maybe you marked it on your card. If not, you can speak to me afterwards. I'll be at the exit door. Let us know. And we'd like to celebrate new life on Thanksgiving Sunday. Being immersed in the old life, laying down your old life, being raised to a new life, just as surely as Jesus laid down his life and he picked it up again. It's symbolic, just like the sacrament of communion was this morning. And I know there are some individuals that are like me who have been following Jesus because this was true of my life when I was younger for a number of years and I'd never been baptized. And I didn't want to get baptized because, oh my gosh, if I got baptized, everybody thinks that I haven't been a Christian all these years. I just never followed in the step of obedience to baptism. Talk to me, mark your card, give it to me, turn it in one of the baskets. Let's have a great baptismal service that day. And for those of you on the rooted journey, you know who you are. That invitation goes directly to you. Will you stand with me? Yes, this is my power test to have you stand. There, see, I have power. <laughs> for you men who come on Saturday morning at 8, and that invitation stands for everyone. We finished with this benediction. Last week related to Ephesians chapter 3. Receive this benediction, if you will. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and in your life this week forever and ever God's people said amen and amen. Have a great week. See you next week.